I think I've taken you here to record a podcast. And Ryan Conversi simply was stuck at work and couldn't come and include himself in our fine recording this evening. But I suspect that to not be the truth. See, I suspect foul play. And one of you has murdered Rain Conversi. This is not just any ordinary movie night, you see. This is a murder mystery movie night. And the suspects are all of you. Hi, welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode 102. I am your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Blanc. And with me, I have... Hi, I'm Foghorn Leghorn. Fuck! <laughs> I am Jack's Raging Bile Duct. I am James Bond. With us, we have the most special of guests. Kermit the Frog here. Woo! Yeah, that's right. Now tell us, good sir, while you are here, what is it that uh, you do? Plug something. Really, my name is Brendan. I've got a podcast that is on temporary hiatus. It's been on hiatus for about a year now. I actually do a podcast with Levi and Steven from the Cinemaniacs, and that is that's the podcast that we have. But I have been so graciously invited to be a guest on the Bomb Squad, and I'm super excited. Yes, a guest from perhaps our main competition. A <laughs> compelling motivation to murder one of our members, perhaps. But yes, Guilty. that's right. We are talking about Glass Onion, a Knives Out story with the fine young gentleman here. I've been calling you. You gotta answer me when I call. Oh, will you shut it? You tell your mother to shut up. But before we get into our thoughts on the movie overall, I have a question for you all to ponder. A warm-up question. What is one of your favorite whodunit movies? Austin, we will start with you. On the brighter side of things, I'd probably say Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But people like things with some kink yes. to them these days. So I'm here to cordially remind everybody that L.A. Confidential exists. In case they forgot such a masterpiece came out 26 whole years ago. I know that the instinct for a question like this is to just say Chinatown. But I'd say that L.A. Confidential is just Chinatown made with more modern technology and more modern perverts. It's a fascinating story about a cop who's trying to figure out who massacred a bunch of folks at a diner, and it sprawls out like a spider's web, revealing corruption among the ranks of local police. This film's so damn good that it was nominated for nine Academy Awards, and I think the reason that it's not more of a mainstay in people's minds might have a lot to do with the fact that Titanic came out the same year. Good film, lots of layers to it. LA Confidential's my answer. Back to you, detective. Great to answer, I do say. Now, Mr. Tim M. Sullivan, the oldest of our group, perhaps jealous of the one who has made it off to L.A. What is your favorite Who Done It movie? So the way that this question was posed in the group chat did not specify movies, so I've instead picked a book to talk about. The, the 1939 Agatha Christie novel, and then there were none. It's called Reading. Top to bottom, left to right, group words together as a sentence. It's a pretty classic story that like really sets up the formula of the whodunit genre. And like it even ends on a note that's like pretty like unsuspecting. It's not as cut and dry as, you know, a lot of whodunit type stories are. I know there are a bunch of like movie and TV adaptations, but the only one of those I've seen is the 1945 movie. And that one's trash, dog shit ass, haze code bullshit. You know, they had a really fucking dark ending with the book and the movie's just like, yeah, 1945. We don't have faces of death yet. We need to make something with a happy ending. So, yeah, just fucking clown shoes shit. But the book's pretty good. Back to you, Tanner. One little Indian boy left all alone. He went and hanged himself and then the one on. Now, Mr. Joe Vranick, what is perhaps a favorite whodunit <clears throat> of yours? 
to quickly add on to Tim's answer, there's actually a really good video game of And Then There Were None. So mm. I'm going to slightly cheat here, but I I do have a movie. My answer is the entire Scream franchise. Screams 1, 2, 3, 4, and recently Scream 2022. Hopefully the new one that's coming out as well. But I'm going with the one that has a really good whodunit story and is also a really good slasher movie because I'm a much bigger horror guy than I am a mystery guy. But yeah, no, Scream, funny, uh, fun mysteries, fun uh, thrills, fun kills. My cat's leaving, so I'm just going to take that as my cue to stop talking about Scream. There's a formula to it, a very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Good answer, good answer, Joe. Interesting you pick a movie where the killer is almost always an unexpected uh, murderer. Perhaps signaling that you, in fact, are our unexpected murderer. But no matter for that. Ren, what is a favorite whodunit of yours? See, uh, I do like mystery movies, but I actually had to look and see what movies were considered as whodunits because Same. I don't know I don't know as much about like whodunits and what classifies it as a whodunit. From the list that I saw, this movie was considered a whodunit, and I don't know how popular this movie is I may be in the minority of liking this one but it's a more recent one of bad times at the El Royale I did really enjoy it I really liked the performances from John Hamm and Jeff Bridges and Dakota Johnson I wasn't really a big Dakota Johnson fan until I saw that movie but it's got a lot of good twists and turns beautiful cinematography in my opinion and just an overall great set design I really enjoyed that one you know what they call a, a quarter pound of cheese in Paris great choice great choice that movie has a lot of defenders. Now, for my answer to this question, I uh, originally wrote down the movie Blowout by Brian De Palma. But as I was thinking about it, I don't know if that's really a whodunit, per se. It's got a murderer and a guy who's trying to solve who the, the sex murderer is. Okay, yeah. then I'm committing to it. Blowout uh, by Brian De Palma, one of the, uh, personally, my favorite De Palma film in a fine career of a fine filmmaker. It's a beautiful movie, one of John Travolta's best performances. That shot with the fireworks in the background is perhaps one of the most beautiful shots in the histories of all of film. And it also has that incredible shot of John Travolta in the lab where it just goes in a circle for like five minutes. And it's one of the most impressive works of filmmaking I think I've ever done seen. <clears throat> that is hard to do. How the fuck does Daniel Craig do that? Son, as your lawyer, I declare y'all are in a 12 piece bucket of trouble. There's there's a difference between doing it for an hour straight and doing it in between takes. So what you're saying is what I'm doing is more impressive. I'm kidding. I can't. I'm kidding. Daniel Craig is a millionaire. I'm not. But speaking of millionaires, that's a perfect way to segue into our movie on the of the evening, which is sort of a nice little shot at the rich, the millionaires, the global elite, if you will. Serenading me with my song. On the guitar Paul wrote it on. <laughs> I know. Legit, right? But look at your face. It was worth it. Oh, my friends, my friends, all my old friends. Glass Onion, a Knives Out story, the sequel to the 2019 uh, really fantastic film Knives Out. We once again follow ourselves in the footsteps of Benoit Blanc in a fun mystery with a fun, big, star-studded cast. What do we think of the movie overall? Mr. Rennick, I'd like to start with you. Uh, of course, you're starting with me. Okay. <laughs> so, I really, really liked this movie. I need to rewatch it because I was not able to get a rewatch in before the podcast. Something that I will say right out of the gate, because I, I loved that first Knives Out. I got to see Knives Out like a month in advance. And my God, that whole month of just like not being able to talk about it with anybody was fucking killer. So what were the overhood words by the Nazi child masturbating in the bathroom? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? 
You're goddamn right. I was excited for like a sequel to this because I really like that first one. Honestly, I kind of think one of the benefits of this movie is it stands on its own. And I did not rewatch Knives Out beforehand because honestly, I think that could potentially ruin the experience is watching that before watching Glass Onion. It's just another fun, solid mystery from one director, Ryan Johnson, who once again subverts our expectations. Uh, yep, I'm the first one to fucking bring that up in the podcast. I don't fucking care. Um, Ryan Johnson knocks it out of the park again. I think I like Knives Out more st- in this, but I, I still think it, it's a five star like banger. Cast is fucking solid. If anyone really stands out, I would have to say Janelle Monet stands out and is probably the best performance out of like other than Daniel Craig, because she's got a lot of range in this movie specifically because she's got to play like two different fucking characters. Whoa, 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 whoa. What the fuck? The humor in this is also really solid. Um, It's probably the best thing I've ever seen Kate Hudson in. She's unbelievably hilarious in this, playing probably the dumbest character other than maybe Edward Norton in this, because man, oh man, there's a lot of dumb characters in this, and that's where a lot of the humor comes from, is just how dumb most of these characters are. My brain's kind of fried. I'm going to pass it off to somebody else. Back to you, Tanner. Mr. Zwiebelman, the overworked editor of this here podcast, perhaps killing one of the only members that hasn't hosted an episode of the show in some crazy act of revenge. Mayhaps, perhaps, I do not know. What did you think of this glass onion? All right, so I want to apologize to the viewers. I'd love to talk about techno cranes and like VFX and trivia and shit, but this is a Netflix feature. So the best stuff I've got are some masturbatory like 30 minute making of video on YouTube and a couple of shitty little articles. So I don't have that much to say besides talking straight about the movie. So here we go. Ryan Johnson does for mystery films what Scorsese does for gangster pictures. Glass Onion, like Knives Out before, it has a fresh, entertaining approach to the way that it's structured, and it lampoons elements of modern life in a way that feels pretty cathartic. The main idea here is really solid. Like, what if the killer is dumb and obvious and bad at doing crime, but they're a billionaire tech entrepreneur who everybody assumes is always, like, playing 4D chess or something? That's just cathartic to see from my point of view. A movie that takes like a Steve Jobs, Elon Musk type who like plays the orchestra to quote Sorkin and uh, really exposes the fact that behind those billions it's just some fucking dude who surrounded himself with smart people and took the lion's share of the credit. He just put pineapple juice in his whiskey. It's so dumb it's brilliant. No! It's just dumb. There's even that added sort of Elon-specific angle where everything that Ed Norton's character does seems to be stolen from somewhere else. The company that he founded, he says, this is our time, like Justin Timberlake in The Social Network. At the end, when he burns that letter in Andy's hand, it's only after Leslie Odom Jr.'s character mentions the possibility of doing so. I don't know if this dude would have burned the letter if Lionel didn't say anything. His head is empty. And after all that, you... You still kept the envelope. Uh, You didn't burn it or anything? Uh, Needless to say, Ryan Johnson's still on his absolute A-game with this franchise, and it really pays off on rewatches. 
Shit, the first time that I saw that opening sequence with the puzzle box, it was so perfect that I was briefly under the impression that I was in the presence of an all-time classic. That opening and the bar flashback have a special weird energy to them, like the opening of Boogie Nights or the hallway fight in Old Boy. Uh, gotta mention my only complaint, parts of this drag on during rewatches. Like that smashing stuff bit at the end really does extend into the horizon like a cactus's shadow. But I love it. It succeeds at what it's trying to do. It's flat out funny. There's zero rhino in these pills. Or, or Benoit standing behind a statue of a disembodied ass. And that goddamn sweatpants sweatshop joke might be the best comedy payoff in a 2022 film. The Serena Williams bit, where it's revealed she's on the live feed, was fucking phenomenal. It's just an excellent film. So, so in conclusion, I'd reiterate, Ryan Johnson has great instincts with this specific genre. Going after very rich people is just the right move, considering rich people can pull off the most elaborate crimes outside of, say, like, governments and the mob. And I'm not sure those movies would be able to maintain the lighthearted tone. Another thrilling episode of CSI KFC. I'm guessing from Ed Norton's presence in this one that Knives Out may be one of those franchises everybody in Hollywood is trying to appear in, and for good reason. They're destined to end up on best of lists somewhere barely downstream of Hitchcock. And do not forget that Ethan Hawke is also in this movie for a scene out of nowhere, which is very fun. All right, to our special guest, I'm going to let you at him. What are your overall thoughts on Glass Onion? Overall, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I was lucky enough to get to see it for the one week that it was in theaters, which still blows my absolute mind that they didn't let it be a longer time in theaters. But, you know, Netflix got a Netflix. Got to get those streams somewhere. But no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as the first Knives Out, but Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, fantastic, does a great job, same as last time. The cast, Ryan Johnson just does a great job of picking the right people for these roles. From everyone in the first one to everyone in this one, just the chemistry that they all have, seeing Dave Bautista, Kate Hudson, and Katherine Hahn all in the same room shouldn't work as well as it does, but it certainly does. These always come, it's protocol. I can see the headlines. Governor jets off to Greece and a pandemic with a men's rights YouTuber who dies. Edward Norton is an absolute goofball, but I love seeing him in a role like this. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think that it's a good watch. Does really good on rewatches, too, though I do kind of agree with Austin that there are some bits that drag on afterwards, especially the smashing bit at the end. I watched it last night to prepare for this, and I was like, man, this uh, this goes a little bit longer than I remember it in the theater. But overall, everyone does a great job of their performance. I will literally watch anything that Dave Bautista is in because I really just love his personality and his charm that he has. He seems to really love making movies, so I'm glad that he's doing something that he loves. My biggest complaint, though, and this is probably the last thing that I'll leave it on, I don't know about you guys, this may just be a me thing, but I personally think that the cinematography was a little bit better in the first one. There were some closer camera angles and stuff like that that I kind of missed in Glass Onion, but Ryan Johnson still does a great job of moving the camera, especially in the conversation between Daniel Craig and Janelle Monet at his house, where it's whipping back and forth and it does that zoom in on the broken box stuff like that just makes it a really good watch so i definitely recommend it mr sullivan what are your thoughts on glass onion glass onion is another great film from ryan johnson director of the mind-blowing breaking bad episode fly and uh, also i think he directed the star trek movie or something i don't know i don't watch cartoons um but anyway much like the episode fly this is sort of a model story I think that that's kind of something that makes it 
stand out a little bit from Knives Out is that we're kind of sitting with these characters in the situation more than we are just kind of cutting back and forth between their political discussions that ultimately amount to when the other person is getting the money, they're just like, oh, what the fuck? But this this is sort of a bunch of people who hate one person all in a room with them. And yeah, I, I, do, I do love the ways that they play on him like being sort of an Elon Musk allegory, even though like apparently they swear up and down that he was supposed to be a Zuckerberg allegory, which like oh. whatever, potato, potato. Well, the <laughs> idea is that it was an amalgamation of all the tech CEOs. Pretty much. I do think in a lot of ways it definitely shines more Elon. Just like the whole like literally every smart thing he does was stolen from somebody else. The gun kill by turning off the lights. Uh, and then uh, what Austin brought up, the burning the napkin. Every smart thing he did was because somebody else said, wouldn't it be neat if this happened? Daniel Craig again is great in the performance. He just jumps right back into it. And given that he's more established here, I think that kind of gives him a little more room to have fun with it, where in the first one, he's sort of in the shadows at the beginning, and this was more central towards him. This will be good. I saw one tweet that was basically just like the Benoit Blanc movies are just the stories about a gay detective helping girl bosses win. And I think that that's great. I actually kind of disagree with like I thought the like glass smashing bit went faster this time, oddly enough. I don't know why. I guess just my familiarity with it. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is happening again because I had seen it the one time in the theater. And then again with Austin and Tanner when we were filming the Avatar bit. So, yeah, that managed to get a couple of different viewings in in a couple different circumstances, which has made this kind of a fun one to talk about. Yeah, good stuff. Back to you, Tanner. Well, I guess it's my time to shine how low I loved. Loved, loved, loved this movie. It is in my top ten for the year. It is truly an exceptional picture. No phones. Why can't she have her phone? Because she's afraid that I will tweet an ethnic slur. Again, yes. Let me tell you, this Daniel Craig fellow playing Benoit Blanc is just uh, such an iconic, more entertaining role. You can tell that he likes playing this character way more than he likes playing James Bond or anything like that. James Bond is boring. He's emotionless. He doesn't get to have humor with him like this Benoit Blanc type does. And unlike the first movie where I felt he was more of a supporting character, I really feel like he is front and center here, especially in the first half of the movie. Now, there's a bit of a controversy general consensus. There's the big twist in the middle where it's revealed that Cassandra Brand was dead the whole time, and Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time, too. And... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. In the second half of the movie, Moon becomes Janelle Monae's picture. And I also think that they're quite exceptional indeed myself. Really, the fact they had to play two characters, the first time you watch it, you kind of think that their performance in the first half is a little bit of a weird thing. Some things, some weird acting choices I couldn't quite make sense of. And then the twist happens, and just like that. It all makes sense. Peeling back the layers of the glass onion of the donut hole of it all. When Duke got banned from Twitch for hawking rhino horn boner pills to teenage boys. With zero rhino on those pills. Who do you think set them up in YouTube and <clears throat> The rest of the cast is why is incredibly stellar. I would like to shout out Edward Norton who gave one of my favorite supporting performances of the year as a, a really great idiot that appears smart. 
but it's just dumb who he is. This movie, uh, I, like Brandon and Tim here, also got to see it in the uh, theater. And uh, for the next month before the movie came out, I couldn't stop raving about how I had one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the whodunit, which is the whole bit where when you first see the thing that kills Duke, it's very clearly Edward Norton handing the glass to Bautista. But when they play it back just a few minutes later, they show him setting it down and Bautista picking it up. And I said to myself, well, my memory must be fallible indeed, because that is not how I remember it. And then, as it turns out, I was right. And I thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen a who done it doing an editing fashion. It was very neat. I, unlike apparently many other people, do in fact like this picture more than the first one. And I loved the first one. It was one of my favorite movies of 2019, which was a very, very good year for movies. Marriage Story, Uncut Gems, all those things. And yet, Knives Out still managed to rank in my top 10. And this movie also ranks in my top 10 in 2022. Another fantastic year for movies indeed. It's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Are you calling me dangerous? It's just dumb! I think the humor is a little more on point in this one. It's a little more poignant. And I think I just like the mystery and the twist more. And I think I just like Janelle Monet a little more than I like Anna de Armas in the first one. Don't get me wrong. I really like Anna de Armas in the first one. But uh, there was something about Janelle Monet and the sort of dual role they have to play that I uh, really enjoyed. And more importantly, I just want to bring this up and perhaps we can get into a more in our general discussion. But... Something I like about these Knives Out movies is how uh, hyper-aggressively modern they feel. They feel like period pieces for the years we are currently living. That is how aggressively of its era they are. And this one feels hyper, hyper of the moment. We were all there in 2020. We all remember COVID. We all remember all the sourdough starters that people were starting. Hugh Grant included, apparently. Hugh did this. Overall, it's an incredibly fun movie with a fun twist, a fun plot, and a lot of fantastic fantastic performances that I like just a little more than the first one. Ryan Johnson is firing at all cylinders in all times, and I cannot wait to see where Benoit Blanc takes us next. But what more do we have to say? Do you want to see have some general discussion, maybe even some trivia if time permits? Well, just stay tuned after this brief commercial break. See you in a minute. And right here, I'm going to unveil the future. That's a new solid hydrogen fuel. It's incredibly powerful, it's radically efficient, and it's derived from abundant seawater. I call it clear, with a K. You got one part of that wrong. This is not meth. Welcome back to Bomb Squad Movie Not. From this ad break, I present to you yet another ad break. Layers of ads, like an onion. Do you like canvas? Do you like colors? Do you like motion pictures? Then boy, do I got a product for you. Moviepalette.com. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. On this fine website, you can in fact find many, many beautiful canvases adorned with the colors of some of your favorite films. There is, of course, Punch Drunk Love, the one I have. There is Mandy, the one Tim has. Uh, but many, many more. Maybe even the very movie we're talking about today, or perhaps another Ryan Johnson picture. So that's right. If you go to moviepalette.com, you can get one of your own. But wait, 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 wait. Before you put in that order, make sure you enter the promo code SQUAD15 for 15% off your order indeed. Now that we're all done from the messages from our fine sponsors, let us get right back into this glass onion discussion. 
with some general discussion. Does anyone have anything they want to present? I read a theory on Twitter a couple days after this was released on Netflix that Ed Norton is supposed to represent Netflix. It was very interesting. The most damning piece of evidence is that sort of Joseph Gordon-Levitt done that happens on an hourly basis meant to mimic the Netflix noise that uh, Todd Yellen and Lon Bender made. If you'll notice, they didn't play the Netflix sound over the logo in the beginning because then people would know the truth. Ryan Johnson wants to make fun of the people. It's the most dangerous to make fun of. It all makes sense. Someone else will put it together in the comments. That's right. Ryan Johnson most certainly devised to make a movie criticizing the company he willingly accepted almost half a billion dollars from. I couldn't find the original Twitter thread, so that's why this isn't like, you know, more thought out on my end. I just thought it was interesting. So something that I think is worth bringing up is that uh, Ryan Johnson said that he hated that he had to put knives out in the title. So it kind of sucks that they had to like fucking turn it because people know the knives out movie. But, you know, it's did whatever the first one was appropriately titled knives out because of the giant game of thrones style like knife arrangement yeah Mm -hmm. i do have something to present to all of you do you remember an ethan hawk scene where he sprays a mysterious substance into everyone's mouths and then claims that everyone doesn't have to worry about COVID anymore but first i'm going to need you to remove your mask and extend your tongue this will only be momentarily uncomfortable now, upon first viewing, you may think Miles Braun is so rich he has the cure for COVID before anyone else does. But upon second viewing, I notice something. When Benoit Blanc has it, he remarks that it tastes like disinfectant. So my theory is that Ethan Hawke came to this dog to literally spray bleach into these people's mouths. Because if you remember when this COVID shit was first hidden, Donald Trump, our president of the United States, suggested that people use bleach to get rid of the COVID thing. And I think that's literally what Miles Braun did what what about y'all does that make sense yeah i I, I, I definitely buy it i wouldn't be surprised in the slightest and i I also want to add that this is like the first time in a movie or show that them including covid didn't make me roll my eyes right where it actually just felt natural i think something that's kind of interesting about the way they integrate that is that like that scene where they're all meeting up everybody's masks indicate something about their character like we have Mm -hmm. Benoit Blanc in the polka dot mask and uh, a bunch of other people wearing just like regular disposable masks Catherine Hahn is not covering her nose fucking Kate Hudson's character has that shitty little mesh thing that the Lana Del Rey yeah the Republicans are wearing out of spite she's like (laughs) well I have to cover my mouth I guess I'm gonna use this shitty thing that does nothing and then fucking Duke and Whiskey come in no mask and uh, don't forget the scientist who was wearing, I believe, uh, something more advanced than just your standard uh, N95. I believe he was wearing something a little more advanced than that. I can't remember off the top of my head, though. The famous N96 mask. (laughs) One thing I want to bring up, uh, there's this guy named James Gimmel. He's a guy who's usually in art department on movies as a scenic artist or the head scenic artist, and I want to commend this dude for his tremendous recreation of the Mona Lisa in this film. That must have been fucking hard because Tanner told me because yeah, most of the things Miles Braun says are like total horseshit, but apparently that fucking thing about painting without the the brush strokes or whatever it is, that's a fact about the Mona Lisa, and I never knew that. 
I want to point out that there's a, a painting in Miles Brown's living room that is a red and a blue thing. You know, it looks pretty simple. A Roscoe. That is a famous painting. And I don't know if this was intentional or a mistake, but given the level of detail in this film, I have reason to believe it was intentional. That painting is hung upside down. <laughs> that painting is not oriented correctly. That had to have been intentional. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of things about watching this movie in theaters that was fascinating because it felt like it was made last week from how clearly what uh, Miles Braun was doing felt like a parallel to what Elon Musk was doing with Twitter.com and the fact that Miles Braun had a big Kanye-ish Jesus painting in his living room, which <laughs> boy, we all know how aggressively poorly that staged this year. Oh, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah. But he made graduation, but he made graduation, but he made graduation. <laughs> I, I don't know how many more he made graduations I got left in me, boss. <laughs> One thing I like is that this movie's namesake is that Beatles song from the White Album that John Lennon wrote in retaliation to people reading too much into the lyrics of Beatles songs. It's just like a whole song making fun of people fucking reading too much into Sgt. Pepper's. And I, I think that's I think that's cool. And they actually, you know, shelled out to get a Beatles song at the end of the fucking movie, which is, you know, some social network level shit. Must have been expensive. Fuck. I do want to point out now. I don't know if this was intentional or not. It's hard to tell. I think this was actually just a genuine mistake. When we are introduced to Miles Braun, he was playing a Paul McCartney song on his guitar. He, he's playing another White Album song. Yeah. Blackbird. He claims it's the guitar that Paul wrote it on. However, it's the wrong-handedness. <laughs> yes, Paul's left-handed. Paul McCartney is left-handed. That is a right-handed guitar. <laughs> Intentional or not, I don't know, but it's really funny to imagine that Miles Braun was scammed by some guy on Craigslist claiming he had Paul McCartney's guitar, and presumably the screen name was John Lennon Isn't Dead 96. How much could a Paul McCartney guitar cost? A hundred dollars? I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? You've never actually set foot in a supermarket, have you? I don't have time for this. Can't be that much, surely. I have seven of them. Yo, shout out to Duke's mom. Duke's mom, the smartest person in the whole movie. It's a Fibonacci sequence. sequence. Fun fact, I could not believe, but uh, that woman, that actress is only eight years older than Dave Bautista. It's Rebecca Ferguson nice. and uh, Timothy Chalamet and Dune all over again. W one thing I was texting Tanner about while watching this movie, I, I wonder if Ryan Johnson's a big Looney Tunes fan, because specifically the bit towards the end where it's like Benoit's left the, the mansion and all the rich motherfuckers are having their moment and then the house explodes. There's a shot of Benoit and just the one dude that's just chilling on the island just watching from afar. And honestly, I got a lot of uh, Bugs Bunny looking mm -hmm. into the camera going, ain't I a stinker vibes yeah. from that? <laughs> honestly, Benoit Blanc feels kind of like Bugs Bunny in this a lot of the time. Darren He's fucking just, ruled. He was just vibing the whole movie. Uh, I do remember watching this movie in the theater and I thought that Daniel Craig was happily smoking a cigar as a mansion full of people was murdered. Because <laughs> yeah. that looked like the type of explosion you don't get to walk away from. Another thing about Darren, if I do may point out, from what I am led to believe, the actor that plays Darren is the same actor that plays Lakeith Stanfeld's partner in the first movie. You are correct. I don't think it's meant to be the same character, but it is the same actor. It would be yeah. funny if it was meant to be the same character. 
character. That, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Man, that detective has fallen on hard times. Two things from the same scene. One, last film performance of Stephen Sondheim, the legend. Yeah. But two, the way that he pops up. So first thing I ever saw from this movie was the day it got released on Netflix on Twitter. Somebody posted a video saying this scene is real and it's from the new Knives Out movie. Fucking Among Us is in this movie. Wait, hold on. What just happened? Stop posting about Among Us! After all this time, asking all those people to stop talking about Among Us, Ryan Johnson puts it in a fucking movie! That's also Angela Lansbury's last scene. Yeah. Perhaps uh, the greatest Discord server of all time is Natasha Leone, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Steven Sanaheim, Angela Lansbury, and Benoit Blanc. And the reason they all agreed to be in the movie is they really liked The Last Jedi. That's that's what brought them all together. God, I really hope that to be true. Uh, Speaking of that scene, I do have a question for everyone who did rewatch this. The cameos. Do do they feel forced on a second watch? Because that was something I was thinking about the entire time. Not even in the slightest. I think because, like, the original film had so many just big celebrity names. Like, you had Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Michael Shannon, just everybody. Brian Johnson is friends with everybody. So I'm not surprised when I see just, like, some big random dude or lady or what have you in a Benoit Blanc mystery. I'm not surprised that... Ryan Johnson would be friends with everybody because that that man is just like a teddy bear of a human being. You just want to hug him. Yeah, I I must say that uh, I remember there being a bit of a Twitter outrage of how woke culture has gone too far in terms of making Benoit Blanc gay in this movie. And to that I say, you fucking idiots. He sang an entire (laughs) bar from Foley's by Stephen Sondheim in the first movie. No man who does that is straight. He's married to fucking Hugh Grant in this. Come on. Just accept it and move on. Well, I'm very bad at dumb things. My Achilles heel. Also, Hugh Grant. I, I was so happy to see Hugh Grant in this. So, my father-in-law is a published author. He wrote the Merlin Spiral and the Pendragon Spiral what books. What the fuck? Right. So, we were eating dinner tonight, and we were talking about Glass Onion. And uh, he showed me the Zillow listing for the house thingy in this movie. It's fucking $450 million, my dudes. That is almost as much money as Netflix spent on the rights to the second and third Knives Out movies. Dig this. 17 bedrooms, 22 bathrooms, 29,000 square feet. It is quite a place. Somehow someone's going to buy that mansion and still somehow find a way to gentrify it. I can barely pay for my two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. When Austin, Tim, and I uh, watched this movie for the second time, we paused the movie to try to figure out what the hell the cocktail napkin said, and we, for the life of us, can't fucking figure out what Alpha's business model actually is. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Which is why crypto is mentioned so many times. Yeah, it says like crypto in every step, which makes me think it's supposed to confuse us. No. But also, I understand crypto fairly well, and it still doesn't make a lick of sense. Compels you, though. It's just dumb. Tanner, do you have any IMDb trivia? I do, in fact. Welcome to Blanc's Trivia Corner. Oh, man. I just want to point out that one of the big paintings in Miles Brown's living room is uh, actually a painting of Edward Norton's head on Brad Pitt's body from Fight Club. I was wondering that. He even stole the body. Edward Norton in the flashback to the Glass Onion Bar 
Cruiser is wearing an outfit that is very clearly just Tom Cruise and Magnolia. Now, here's a fun fact for you. <laughs> Ryan Johnson didn't play in that. Edward Norton and the costume designer came up with that themselves, and Ryan Johnson just thought it was funny. Uh, fun fact about the messages Helen receives when the news that her suicide happened broke. All of the names there are members of the crew of this very film. Hell yeah, baby. They all got to be characters. Get those credits. The yacht in this movie, which is not the same name as it is in the movie, and uh, the real life it's called Aquarius, is actually captain in this movie by the actual captain in real life. And you can rent this very yacht for $228,000 a week. Well, shit. That's affordable. I thought you were going to leave it at 228. Hell, if it was 228, I'd be out to fuck off. I would go live in that yacht. The tunnel icon from one of Ryan Johnson's early films, Brick, can actually be seen in Daryl's surfboard when Helen bursts into his room. Mm. Side note, that is a deeply funny scene. Oh, there's a sheet of LSD briefly shown in the movie with the meme doge, the sheeb, but it's in fear and loathing gear. It's, it's a fear and loathing doge blotter, which I thought was funny. Ethan Hawke's cameo wasn't planned in advance. It just so happened that Ethan Hawke was basically in the same city filming the Marvel Disney Plus show Moon Knight. God damn it. And when they found out he God was nearby, it. he decided to come on over. And you can watch our vidcast series edited by yours truly on Moon Knight on this very channel that you're on. It is a very common misconception that the Mona Lisa was painted on canvas. The Mona Lisa was actually painted on wood, and when the painting burns, it looks like it was painted on wood with the paint flaking off and the glowing wood structure showing behind it. Unlike most movies and TV shows, this one actually gets the Mona Lisa pretty correct. Oh, one more thing, actually. Uh, you will notice that nobody in this movie uses an iPhone after Ryan Johnson spilled the beans about that last yeah. time. <laughs> uh, there are iPads, but if you notice, Edward Norton's character is never shown actually holding it on camera. He throws it to Benoit Blanc off camera. Villains aren't allowed to use Apple products in movies. He doesn't even have a phone in the movie. He just has a fax machine. That's so fucking dumb. I can't believe it's just so dumb. Brilliantly dumb. No! No, it's just dumb! All right, ladies and gentlemen, let us get into our final thoughts on this here picture. Austin, I'd like to start with you, my number one suspect. I think I actually like this better than Knives Out. Lampooning new money is just so much more fun than lampooning old money. Wicked props to everybody who worked on making this such a delightful puzzle box with something kind of cool hidden in the center. Uh, fuck a tech billionaire. Austin out. It's true. It's much more funny to make fun of new money than old money, but it's actually the funniest to make fun of both, which is why Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby is the greatest movie of all time. Now, Mr. Sullivan, I'd like to hear your final thoughts. Glass Onion truly is the full reclamation of Ryan Johnson's filmography, and uh, that is the infraction point. Back to you, Tanner. I don't think you're using those words correctly. Mr. Vrenick, would you please give me your final thoughts? I don't know who Madeline Klein is, but I would not mind seeing her in more movies. Ooh, yeah, fuck. I'm gay. I'm gay. <laughs> Mr. Uh, special Guest, how about you? I still really enjoy this one. I still can't decide if it's better than the, the first one or not. But overall, good time. Uh, I give it two onions straight up. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> Ogre approved. I do think this is a very fine motion picture. It's one of my favorite films of 2022. I, in fact, like it more than the original Knives Out. It's another excellent Benoit Blanc mystery, and I can't wait to see what the future holds. But 
Who killed Rain Conversi? This entire time I thought I couldn't figure it out. I thought it was impossible to figure out. But I just, it just now occurred to me. It's, it was staring me right in the face. It was staring at me right there. I was too blind to see it before, but now I can see it right in front of my eyes. Who killed Rain Conversi? Who is responsible for his untimely demise? Who is responsible for his rent going up in Los Angeles? Why, it was, it was, it was, you! <laughs> the person watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. If you are listening on any of the audio platforms we are on, thank you oh so very much for listening. Please go on down and leave a review for whatever audio platform we are on. It may or may not boost us in the algorithm, or it could do nothing. That is truly one of life's greatest mysteries. If you are watching this video on Spotify video, thank you oh so very much for watching. We hope you enjoyed this uncensored mystery of who killed Rain in this glass onion. And since we don't make that much money off of Spotify video, how about you go ahead and mosey on down over to our Patreon so you can give us a little more money and help us follow our dreams and help us track down Rain's killer. I know you are out there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you oh so very much for watching. While you're here, how about you go on down to the comment section below and let me know what do you think of the first Knives Out? What do you think of Glass Onion? Do you like Glass Onion or the first Knives Out more? Do you think Edward Norton is meant to be Elon Musk? And while you're down there, let me know who did you kill? And I will figure it out. And while you're down there, how about you go ahead and mosey on and on over to that like button so we know how much you like us. Hit that subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you can know exactly when we upload new videos and so I can break into your home. Tune in next week for a brief break in our Oscar month coverage as we uh, cover something pretty topical. That's right, we are doing the 1993 Bill Murray Harold Ramis directed classic Groundhog Day. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's a funny movie. It's a fun time. And we're gonna love it. Thank you again also very much for watching this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. And we will all see you next time. Bye. Thank you, Southern Pastor Tanner. Farewell. <laughs> Did you guys know my last name means Onion Man in German? <laughs> hey, maybe it was you. I'm on my way. <laughs>